Um, so on Friday morning, I got a message from Rich Stamp, who was supposed to be preaching this afternoon, and uh, of course, really sad that he couldn't come, but second thought was, Lord, what, what shall I preach? <laughs> and um, I knew pretty quickly that we should be thinking about how we respond in this moment and uh, where we find hope, but also how on earth is it that as we look to what the church is doing in, the, in Ukraine, we see that there is hope. We don't actually see people uh, falling apart. Their faith isn't falling apart. It seems that they're gathering together and, and, and praying and opening their doors. Right now in the Ukrainian city of Kharkiv, forgive me for my pronunciation, in the east of the country, it's a city about the same size as Glasgow. Greater Glasgow is about 1.2 million. Kharkiv is about 1.2 million. And rumors are kind of going around. Did Russia take it? Didn't it take it? What they do know is that they had Russian troops um, on the streets today in the city, uh, armored vehicles uh, rolling through their streets, outside their houses, outside their churches. And what we do know of the church is that the church is still open. They're still opening their doors and people are still going and praying. There's immense amounts of courage. Uh, we need to be a bit careful about what photos are doing the rounds on social media, uh, but there was one that we could definitely verify because it happened live on a, a CNN report. Um, we're just gonna get it up now. And what you see there is in a, a main square in Kharkiv uh, that people were gathering together on their knees, praying. We've been reading about a famous refugee recently, running from place to place across the Middle East, hiding in caves, troops and dogs encircling him. And when he fled, he had what was very little really, just what was on his back. And a good friend gave him bread and a weapon. It looked like it was all over for him. Death surrounded him. But in this place, he remained hopeful. In fact, if you'd been walking past one of the caves that he might have been hiding in, it's likely that you would have heard him singing. And there's been do videos doing the rounds this week of Ukrainians getting together and singing praise to God in the most dire of situations. If you've been around our, uh, the last little while, you'll know that I'm talking about David. David uh, in our series, uh, series uh, Heart and House and 1 and 2 Samuel. Uh, early on in the story is, is chased out by Saul, this tyrant, this king who was feeling threatened and jealous. His power was threatened and he was power hungry, and he chased him out. And even though David was convinced that death was imminent, and he was in great anguish, he could still say, I love you, Lord. Suffering and war is so often used as a tool to discredit our faith, but actually what we see in the most desperate of situations, is not people losing their faith. We see people worshiping all the more. 
when pain comes back, when suffering is near, when your mood is low, when death comes knocking, when Putin's tanks roll by, we observe in genuine believers, worship. How can that be? How can it be that during the darkest moments, what possible reasons do people find to continue to sing and to pray and to thank God and to say, I love you, Lord? Well, let's turn to Psalm 116. If you have a Bible with you, then please do grab it. And I'm going to read through the whole psalm. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. And my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call in the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome with distress and sorrow, verse three. I was brought low, verse six. He was greatly afflicted, verse 10. He thought that everyone is a liar, verse 11. He was in chains, verse 16. Yet he says, I love you, Lord. How? <laughs> Well, first thing to notice is that David's whole response begins in prayer. And he prays warts and all. God wants honesty. God wants our honest cries for help. I think the longest two minutes of my life were on New Year's Eve 2017, going into 2018. Uh, We had this... uh, great gathering at Gateway Church, the church that sent us, and we had testimonies that morning. It was a really encouraging time, and we're having tea and coffee at the end. 
And uh, suddenly I hear someone call across the room, Ian, come quick, it's Annabelle. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what has happened? And you could hear the panic in her voice. So I'm like running, jumping over chairs, running to the door. And I get to the door and Annabelle is in Lindsay's arms and she is having a fit. She's uh, looking extraordinarily pale. Um, Her eyes are rolled back. And in my mind, she's not breathing at this point. In my mind, I'm thinking she needs to breathe really soon. Otherwise, that's it. Now, apparently, these are actually quite common. They're called febrile convulsions and probably happened to a number of you. But I didn't know that. I'm thinking, my beautiful little daughter, the love with all my heart, is possibly gone. All I could muster in my heart was, Lord, help her. It's all I had. And comfortingly, that's all David had honest cries of help. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And we need to be humble enough to cry out those kind of guttural prayers. I mean, he sees it all anyway, guys. We need to begin to pray the most honest of prayers. That's what David does here. I think the humble are those who are honest enough with themselves to cry out for help. We need to be honest. God wants us to be honest. God hears you. David proclaims in verse one, he hears us whether we find ourselves alone in the midst of a barrage of overwhelmingly negative thoughts or we're scared out of our wits in a bunker in Kiev, God hears our cries for help. He hears you. David has no pretense before God because he knows God loves to hear from him. I don't know if I can even say this to myself, kind of honesty. That's the kind of honesty we need in prayer. Why? Because he hears us. He wants to hear those prayers. He is leaning towards you when you're feeling like that, not away from you. Faith is not pretending something isn't happening to you. Being in denial of difficulties in our lives, it doesn't display some kind of stoic faith in God, no. It actually displays a lack of vision for who God is. The Christian life is not to pretend that everything is shiny and sparkly and rosy. No, it's to realize that actually, even when it's messy and it's rough, we can hope in a God who keeps his promises to us even in the darkest moments. Maybe even we could say, especially in the darkest moments, we can trust in the promises of God that he is leaning closer to us. He's meeting us in our needs. 
some of us are still praying our Sunday best prayers. We've got to get ourselves together first. I've got to get myself in the right place here before I come to God. No, you don't. That is not the gospel. That is not what this is about. It's the opposite. You don't need to get it together. God comes and meets you before even the slightest part of you that tries to get yourself together because we need him in every way and thankfully he loves to hear from us. God sees it all, he loves us anyway and he still wants to hear from you. God leans in. Not only does he hear, but his response is gracious. It's righteous and it's full of compassion, verse five. Our instinct is that God is transactional in his relationship with us. Our instinct that God will only respond to us if we're good boys and girls. And Dane Ortland's brilliant book, if you've not read this, Gentle and Lowly, no matter how long it takes you to read it, no matter how many times you have to read it through before you start getting some of it, just do it. It's a great book. It says this, the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Our God is a God of compassion. His love is one way. That means even when you've given him nothing, he still loves you. We must realize that God wants us. You are wanted by God. He sees your mess. Stop trying to hide it. Because he sees your mess and he has compassion on you. His love is drawn towards you in that mess. And so I think we should prioritize prayer. Because prayer is not some kind of religious duty. Prayer is going to the God who loves you, who adores to be with you, who wants to hear your voice, no matter how simple your words, even if you can only get groans out, he wants to hear from you. He wants to draw near and listen and give you his love and compassion. Go to bed that little bit earlier so you can get up that little bit earlier. Not because you must, but because he wants to hear from you. God doesn't want ritual, he wants relationship. Get along to first Friday prayer meetings and pre-meeting prayer on Sundays. By the way, amazing to see how many of you are out today. That was phenomenal. Get to see you prayer. Get to whatever prayer meetings and opportunities you have because although you don't need to go to them, go anyway because God wants 
to hear you make contributions in prayer with his people. God does not want intellectualism, okay? You don't have to say anything fancy when you come to a prayer meeting. He doesn't want intellectualism. He wants intimacy. Humble yourself to go and receive prayer during worship at the end today. I'm gonna have people praying at the back. And can I implore you, if there is anything you need prayer for, please go. Not because you must, but because, as David shows us in verse 18, we are to commit ourselves to the presence of God together. God isn't looking for you to validate yourself before you go back for prayer. He wants vulnerability. God is not disgusted by you or the things that you have done. He has compassion on you and his loving grace is wholly available to you. And when you go to prayer, you are exercising faith in his grace. God saves. That is why David proceeds calling on the name of the Lord in verse 13 with lifting the cup of salvation. He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now fast forward a millennia and a descendant of David's is sitting, eating a Passover meal with his followers. Now, it's very likely that that night they sang this psalm because this was part of the psalms known as the Egyptian Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118, and they would often sing them at Passover. Egyptian because they are a reminder of a time when the whole of Israel was enslaved to Egypt. And as they were being chased down and they approached the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army with all of its high-tech weapons at the time come behind. The world's biggest superpower on one side, on the other side, the Red Sea. The Red Sea inconquerable for them as a people. And of course, this huge army is gonna crush them. In that moment, God parts the seas he saves his people, and they go through to the other side. Hallel, meaning praise, worship. Because as they worshiped the God who rescued them from the mighty chariots and the weapons of the Egyptians, they recognized that God was their savior and deserved all their worship. So every Passover, they had these psalms sung as worship to the God who saves death bound, the Hebrews in the desert had been trapped between this unstoppable army and unconquerable sea. David was trapped in these caves, hunted by dogs and by soldiers. For many in Ukraine, death and destruction is coming. And in one way or another, we too will be helpless when death comes. It is only because David trusted in God's sure promise of a Passover to the whole world that he could say in verse five, 
gracious, merciful deliverer of death. This was David's faith in what was to come. This psalm was sung at Passover, instituted by Moses for Israel, but acted as a prelude to a better meal instituted by Jesus at communion. The Passover is ultimately about Jesus. We should have drank from the cup of wrath, judgment and death. That's what we've deserved. If you've got questions about that, I'd love to speak to you about it afterwards. So the Bible says we deserved, but we don't need to drink from the cup of wrath. Because if you know the story in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was willing before his father to drink the cup for us. And that's what he did so that we could drink the cup of salvation. Like the Israelites were spared from judgment and death by smearing the blood of a lamb on their doorposts, we who put our faith in Jesus are mercifully spared judgment and death by the blood of Christ, by Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We will all be faced with death and judgment one day and called to give an, sorry, with death one day and called to give an account for our lives before God. But in Jesus' darkest hour, his love is most clearly displayed. And now in our darkest hours, we can know that he has overcome to take us from death to life, from the dark holes we find ourselves into resurrection light. Death is beaten. Jesus is alive. And all who put their trust in Jesus will rise to new life. Oh, death, where is your sting? So if you're in Ukraine right now and you know Jesus, even death cannot steal you away. Trouble in this life will come. But if you want to be spared judgment and have no fear in death and instead enjoy the love of God forever and ever, come to Jesus. Like the Israelites were spared from slavery to the Egyptians, those who put their faith in Jesus are spared from their slavery to sin. Do you ever feel like you do the things that you don't want to do? that there's no control over it in some way, you just can't get away from it? Well, come to Jesus and he will remove your sin and make you new. Like the Israelites were being led out to an Eden-like kind of promised land where life could finally be enjoyed, where freedom would reign, where wine would flow, where feasts would be enjoyed in abundance and they would know God with them in the land. Well, it didn't turn out that they could have that in full just in that moment. The promised land for the Israelites was a prelude to a better land 
a better kingdom. And that Jesus has come and begun, but will make complete when he returns. So we know we can have hope no matter what faces us, no matter how dark the moment for us, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords will burst through the sky with his incredible light and come and bring about his kingdom in full and what we call the new creation. And one day there will be peace for everyone. There will be no more tears as Revelation tells us. We will be with him forever, this benevolent king ruling and reigning where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more war, where weapons will be changed from weapons to plows and farming equipment so that we can enjoy life as it was made to be. It will be more Eden-like than Eden was itself. That is what we can have if we put our trust in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul reminded the Corinthian church about what Jesus instructed to do on that Passover night in Jerusalem. He said, when he had given, th- when he had given thanks, this is what Paul says, he broke it, the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. So we enjoy communion because we remember that we are free from our sin. We remember that we have received the cup of salvation and not the cup of wrath. We remember that Jesus has come to rescue us and that God has come near to us. We remember that the veil was torn in two so that we could enter into God's presence boldly. We remember all those things, but we also remember that he will come again and make all things new. So even in the darkest places, light shines through for those who put their hope in Jesus. Because he has turned his ear towards us, David can say, verse 10, I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. Maybe you are feeling like you're in a pretty dark place at the moment. It doesn't often help to compare that to war or what's going on elsewhere because often we're just fight, we're fighting our own battles and darkness comes in all sorts of different ways. But you need to know today that light has come, that the light of the world has come. And that he shines upon you. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for the Ukrainian people and the church there. And then after that, when we start to worship again and the band comes back up, I'd love us in that first song together as a kind of sign of our 
presence, uh, to, uh, our togetherness in the presence of God, our commitment to him and to one another. All of us take communion in that first song together. And then like David is encouraging here, that we would sing to God, no matter how we feel, no matter how dark our situations might be, because we trust in God. We trust him. And so we can sing with all our hearts. Father, thank you that you are a God who when you see us in trouble, you you don't repel away from us. When you see our sin, you don't run from us. You come near. You have compassion and love and grace. And in your righteousness, you came and died in our place so that we could receive the cup of salvation and not the cup of wrath. Thank you, Lord, that that is true for believers in Ukraine today. Thank you, Lord, that so many are gathering together to pray in churches right now. I want to thank you, God, for their faith and their example to us. I thank you, Lord, that these bold and brave people who have their hope set in you are great examples to us now. Particularly, maybe particularly when we are just lost in a kind of stupor of comfort and lack of zeal. May it wake us up. But Lord, I pray for them right now that you would protect them, that you would help them to reveal this glorious hope to the people of Ukraine, to the many others around them who will be terrified. Would there be random encounters in underground bunkers, in underground stations where people are cowering and hiding and doing what they can to keep themselves safe? Would there be encounters with the living God? Because your people are bold enough to share that Jesus, you're the hope of the world. Would you make them great lights in a very dark place? And Lord, we pray for those in the front lines. Give them courage, Lord. Help them, we pray. Pray for their families, mothers, fathers, families who are worrying sick for their children. Lord, comfort them with, comfort them with your peace and love in only a way that you can as a father who gave his one and only son so that we could know you, a sacrifice like no other. And Lord, we even, we pray for the enemy. You say, love your enemies. We pray for the Russian soldiers. We pray, Father, that you would encounter them, (laughs) that there would be repentance, that there would be a turning to you amongst those soldiers. We pray for Putin. Would you pull him back? Would you show him a better way? Would you reveal to him that you 
are a greater king and he will have to face you one day. And would he repent and turn to you and be forgiven and know you forever? Lord Jesus, as we worship you now, as we take communion together, uh, Lord, we ask that we would sing with great hope. We'd sing as a people who know that there is light, there is hope, and there is a king who is better than all other leaders. In Jesus' name, amen.